I'm Joyce, the pack leader here at 99 Walks, and each week I have the unique pleasure of walking and talking with an incredible person who shares their tactical tips, advice, and a bit of their personal journey in this unique format. No, it's not a super polished, professionally produced podcast. It's just a conversation between two people while they are walking that you get to be a part of. So lace up your sneakers and head out the door with us. Hey everyone, Joyce here welcoming you to today's Walk and Talk, which I believe is our last Walk and Talk of this year. We are taking a seasonal break, so we will see you back here in January. But today, to end out our season, we have a repeat guest, the fabulous Tori Natalie Brown, who is a registered dietitian and nutritionist. She is the Nutrition Program Innovation Specialist at Nutrisystem and an expert in nutrition, dietetics, weight management, digestive health, and the psychology of eating, which is one of my most favorite topics. Uh, Tori believes in a holistic approach to healthy living and nutrition with an emphasis on approachability, which I love because so much of the messaging we see out there uh, is not so approachable. So Tori, welcome back to a 99 Walks Walk and Talk. Thanks so much for having me, Joyce. I'm so excited to be a part of your last walk and talk of the year. So you've been with us before, but for anybody who hasn't listened, and we will link the prior uh, episode in the show notes, but just share a little bit of your background, if you would, and how it is that this field uh, became of interest to you. Absolutely. Uh, So I started or became a registered dietitian in 2015. And my first job was actually at a standalone psychiatric hospital in Baltimore. Um, So I like to say that's kind of how I got my roots in really being interested in the psychology of eating. Uh, And then from there, I transitioned and moved to Philly into uh, counseling bariatric surgery patients or weight loss surgery. And that was a whole other side or another element of the psychology of eating. So I like to say I kind of stumbled into a little bit of like a psychology minor in this degree, um, or in this field rather. And for anyone who joined the last session, I won't get into super detail, but I do come from a family of dietitians. So that's really how I in- initially became interested in nutrition in the first place. I'm uh, the third dietitian in my family and um, a younger cousin who just became the fourth in the past couple of years. So kind of come from that line. So I kind of want to come to your house for Thanksgiving. <laughs> because yeah, what, yes, I, what I, you know, what I smorgasbord. Is, right, like the food's probably delicious, but also really thoughtful because we're heading into the holidays, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and that's a little bit of what I hope to kind of talk through this session about is like what how to navigate these holidays. And it's actually an interesting case study, I'm sure for most people, is like what would a family of four dietitians have at their Thanksgiving? And the thing is, we have all of those things, you know, that maybe are viewed as less healthy. It's just about having some thoughtful stuff in there too and and refocusing on what's the purpose of this time, um, you know, really getting to the core of that. But I won't jump ahead of our conversation before we get there. But you're welcome for Thanksgiving anytime, Joyce. Yeah, no, but no, we're going right there. So what is on the family table for Thanksgiving? 
So we have an interesting assortment. I, you know, we, I come from a big Italian family, so there's always some element of Italian food at our Thanksgiving. That might just be, you know, something like a baked ziti or, you know, something like that, but we always have to have the Italian representation. Uh, and then usually the standards, you know, turkey, a lot of sides. The one thing that we like to do is make the same dishes and kind of create that tradition around it. So, you know, in my family, I make my special green bean casserole. My sister will bake her special sourdough bread. You know, that's the other dietitian. The, my other, uh, my other aunt will bring, you know, the crudite and the cheese and just making sure there's a variety of options so that, you know, you have the good stuff. You have all the desserts, tons of desserts at my Thanksgiving, believe you me. We have all of the desserts. We all have a sweet tooth. <laughs> so it's just about, you know, how can you connect back to more than the food, creating some tradition around it or some deeper meaning? Um, you know, it, it's more than just the food. It's the time you're spending around your family and, and trying to focus on that, but also being excited about the food too. I think we come from a culture that tries to make food boring, don't work, but I want to be excited about the food. That's, that's half, half of the fun. Um, and, and removing the pressure and the stress from it too. Cause that's, that's the thing I want to level set with people is holidays. We're talking really, we're, if we're talking Thanksgiving, that's one day. So I try to encourage people don't stress it. Like this is, you know, this day is going to impact forever. It's just one day. So even if you don't have a game plan, you don't have it all planned out down to a T, what you're going to eat, what you're going to bring, that's okay. You know, just just going and trying to pick out things that look good and are interesting and then eating them mindfully too and enjoying the environment. Um, so a lot that goes into that, but really a good yeah, variety I wanna, is always what I, I like. Go, I want to go back into so much of that, but I want to start with with two observations. The first is in my experience, Experience working with and interviewing uh, quite a few people focused on nutrition and quite a few registered dietitians, which uh, you guys have quite a bit of education uh, in this space. Most of the people I've connected with love food. So this goes back to something you said, which is kind of around not villainizing food, not making it bland and boring. Like, most people who work in your field really love food, which is super refreshing. Yeah, and I, I think that is, I don't want to say it's a shift in mentality of dietitians necessarily, but I think there's more of that, you know, with of that foodie mentality out there in the world now with social media that I'm seeing a refreshing change that people are kind of embracing and, you know, really having a passion about food where when we look back in time, and maybe that's just a difference of social media, but I just don't feel like there was that, uh, you know, that discipline-wide love of food in, in dietetics in the 80s. I could be wrong. I wasn't in dietetics in the 80s, but I think that is a result of a lot of different things going on in the health space right now, like focusing on holistic health, not just what you're putting in your body. Yeah, that's a part of it, but other things too. Um, you know, refocusing on that holistic view is helping people to realize, oh, enjoying food is a big part of life. I have to eat food every day. Let me try to enjoy at least some of it, not dread it. Um, 
And a lot of my beliefs in, in this topic were greatly shaped and have been greatly shaped by the clients that I've come in touch with in my career, which very, very early on was extremely disordered eating, uh, patients with very extreme eating disorders who were literally hospitalized from beliefs of this food will kill me. And, and so you really have to break down those, those beliefs that aren't true. And that's an extreme case, of course. But really going back to breaking down the beliefs of that you have about nutrition and food. Because a lot of us, if we look internally, we may have some distorted thoughts. We may have some things that, you know, oh, I don't ever eat bread because I heard it turns to fat. Try to challenge those things so that you can have a, a greater, more varied uh, enjoyment of food and, and the whole eating experience. I think so many of us really have been raised to treat food or food in general or specific food. You know, you, you talk about some of the patients with whom you worked early in your career as real outliers and I don't, maybe to the extreme, but I think so many of us, to your point, have been taught that food is the enemy. And certainly certain Absolutely. foods are definitely, you know, cheesecake is definitely enemy number one. <laughs> Right. Oh my goodness. With all that, you know, don't go to Cheesecake Factory. That's what we all hear. It's like, watch yeah. So yeah, I, I, you're right. And I'm talking, again, I'm talking about in that, in that situation, maybe the 0.05% of people, but yes, I agree. I think working with those extreme cases opened my eyes up to, mm. wow, this isn't just these hospitalized people who have these beliefs. If we take it out broader, there are people day-to-day, -day, you know, people I interact with day-to-day, -day, even myself at times, I had to find myself challenging, hey, that's a disordered or distorted way of looking at something that is just mainstream, but for some people, they really latch onto that and, you know, may have the predisposition to an eating disorder, and that's where that happens. But, you know, I think a lot of us hold these beliefs of, oh, fat is the villain, sugar is the villain, or whatever it may be. So that's a big part of what I like to quote, preach around is really looking internally and challenging what are your fundamental nutrition beliefs? And maybe they're wonderful and maybe they are, you know, rooted in science, but maybe growing up you had a family member that was constantly talking about how sugar is evil. And so that's just naturally come apart, become a part of your internal monologue and so that's where we need to start breaking those negative associations so that we can kind of reframe it and say, this Thanksgiving, instead of what I'm not going to include on my plate, this Thanksgiving, what I really, we're going to reframe it as what I really am looking forward to putting on my plate this Thanksgiving. And that even, that little tiny shift alone can really just boost your confidence in making food choices and just helping you feel more satisfied, less stressed around making choices on those days or or every day for that matter. And what I think is interesting and counterintuitive about that is if you I think a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to get myself excited for the mashed potatoes. Or for me it's actually my mother's stuffing. I love my mother's stuffing. Ugh. 
I don't want to get myself excited about that because if I do, then I'm more likely to overindulge in a way that doesn't make me feel good or that's a, you know, that's a bad food, kind of all the things. And I think what mm -hmm. might be sort of uh, counterintuitive about that is if you do allow yourself to be enthusiastic about it and excited about it, perhaps you're more likely to be present. Perhaps you're more likely to eat a little bit more mindfully and when you do, you're better able to listen to your body's cues, et cetera, et cetera, which is sort of our segue uh, to this idea of intuitive eating. Yeah, uh, yes, definitely. And that's why I, speci I specifically wanted to mention as part of our family holidays, and I'm sure a lot of people do this too, our family members tend to bring a lot of the same dishes year in and year out. And I think a part of that is, that anticipation of like it's just that fun tradition of like oh i can't wait to have uh you know my mom's stuffing this year it's just something to look forward to and kind of brings you all together so it's an easy i, I would encourage people to do that if you can or, or recreate a dish that maybe a family member who is no longer with us used to make we we do that too my my grandmother used to make and it was a questionable choice pineapple <laughs> stuffing and none of us liked it but we pretended we did and we remake it every year just for the whimsy of it. So, you know, finding those little just fun traditions of like just keeping everyone together and really being mindful of what the holidays are about. But I know we wanted to switch gears and kind of, or not really switch gears, kind of on the same vein, talk about intuitive eating because it's so well mixed into the topic that we're talking about. Um, so, for anyone who's unfamiliar with intuitive eating, it's basically just a framework which was created by a registered dietitian, I believe in the 90s. Uh, and I actually wrote down her definition because I didn't want to botch it. So she said, intuitive eating is a self-care framework which integrates instinct, emotion, and rational thought. And this was created by Evelyn Triboli and another dietitian in the 90s. I wanted to mention that because it really that definition specifically because it hits on the holistic nature of this framework, which is we're not just talking about what food are you eating? Was that good or bad? Like plus 10 points, minus 10 points, or however we want to gamify that. It's really about how are you feeling in this moment? And there's specific principles. I won't get to all of them, but there's, you can look this up. It's public information, but a lot of practices or really I, I view them as mini challenges in order to really break away from that restrictive diet mentality and try to transform into more of a intuitive, no pun, no pun intended, but intuitive, um, you know, tuned into your body in terms of what you need, listening to your hunger, lots of good stuff in there. So I would encourage people to look further into that. Um, but again, I, I'm happy to talk more through specific aspects of intuitive eating, if you'd like, Joyce. Yeah, let's talk uh, about a little bit of the, the principle and framework of it. And this is why I think it does evolve out of what we were just talking about, because I think the first, or I should say one of the first steps in the whole idea of intuitive eating is for us to stop making an enemy of food. Like, and I think that's where some of the challenge comes from, right? Like our body needs food. Our body wants food. And culturally, mm -hmm. food is a tremendous part of all of our families and our cultures. So 
it seems to me that the first step in intuitive eating is to kind of relearn that <laughs> let's see um from nemo um you know food is food is a friend well, oh is, right fish, nemo with the shark. fish are our fish, friends not food right fish are our <laughs> friends food is our friend yes yes and it's interesting. Yes, you're absolutely right. The the first principle of intuitive eating uh, is rejecting the diet mentality. And so, which sounds so simple on paper, right? Like it's just, oh, just reject the diet mentality. But when you really dig in, it's like, oh my gosh, diet mentality is everywhere. It's on social media, everywhere. it's on TV, everywhere. it's everywhere. And that's not saying you know, there's not a time or place or that you're a bad person if you choose to go on a diet. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is rejecting the diet mentality in terms of viewing it less as I need a diet for this X event in two weeks to lose this. It's more, this is what you need to foster with your relationship with food on a day-to-day basis. And it really is bigger than just the holiday season. It's a year-round practice. And I know that sounds so burdensome to people, but the idea is that by the time that you're really challenging these negative thoughts, challenging some of these diet culture beliefs that you may have or grew up with, it becomes so rewarding to let go of all of those things and just realize, man, I don't have to, I don't have to carry that burden around. I can make these choices for myself. And granted, yes. We're not saying go eat anything and everything you've, you know, that's not the point of intuitive eating. It's really paying attention to how does this food make me feel now in my body, you know, and really not villainizing foods. That's the gist of that rejecting the diet mentality principle that you mentioned. Um, But it's hard. It's like, where do you start with that? And I think it's different for everyone. You may need to seek some support or, or, you know, look at different things you can change about what you're consuming every day in terms of media. Can you unfollow certain social media people that every time you see that post about whatever bikini body or flat tummy or whatever, it makes you feel crappy about yourself. Go on. Like those are the little things that you can start to do today that will help you six months down the road. If you're really trying to change your beliefs about nutrition and food. I think uh, there's something that you didn't mention around this rejection of diet culture, rejection of villainizing food and embracing, uh, frankly, the wisdom of our bodies, which is it's terrifying because we have been raised up in a culture. I mean, listen, no joke. I was put on my first diet when I was eight years old. So, like, um, yeah. let's just absorb that for a second, right? Right. And right. So, uh, saying to yourself, like, I can take these guardrails and these rules off, and my world is not going to fall apart, and my health is not going to fall apart. It's terrifying. Absolutely, and that was really, you know, not. I can speak for someone who's looked at this personally, and absolutely, it's terrifying to just to feel like, okay, I have these rules, I have these things I follow to remove those. It's like, oh my gosh, I still need my training wheels. And I will say taking the leap of faith is the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking again with the 1% of, you know, the, the hospitalized patients, but even talking about bariat- my bariatric patients I used to work with who were not in the hospital. So many people feel that fear of, well, if I say it's okay, if I just tell myself it's okay to have it, I'm going to want to eat 
you know, two bags of cookies every day. But mm-hmm. the reality of it is our brains crave the things we know we can't have more than, you know, I would say 99% of people I've worked with, and that's the main, I don't, I don't actually have that data. That's <laughs> anecdotal, but <laughs> as soon as they take the guardrails away, it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, maybe for a day or two, I wanted to eat all those cookies. But after that, I kind of just was like, eh, the cookie's not all that. I feel that it gives so much power. The way we, as a culture, view food and diets gives way too much power to the food itself. We, you know, we can control these things. Um, even if you go off rail for a day or two after removing those restrictions, you got to kind of go through the motions because at some point it's going to level out. Um, and you're really not going to crave for that, you know, cookie or whatever thing that you thought you were going to lose control with. You really aren't really thinking about it anymore. So our brains are really amazing in that way. So I recently heard or read, and honestly, I can't remember which, and I'm a big believer in the wisdom of our bodies, and I'm a big believer in the power of intuitive eating and all of the things that you're talking about. Um, So I was really curious to read this with an expert, and I don't remember his credentials either, but he was, you know, uh, he was not a social media, you know, flash in the pan. Um, And his argument was that we are wired as human beings to take in as many calories as we possibly can and as much fat and sugar because they're calorie dense and we like that. So the whole intuitive eating movement, he says, is just doomed for disaster because we are wired to consume uh, to excess. And it's certainly not been my personal experience at all, uh, but I'm curious if you've run across that kind of thinking. It's interesting. I haven't, I haven't run across that type of thinking, let's say, from peers or professionals. Like I've, I've never had any fellow doctors or dietitians with that viewpoint. But it does, you know, in a way, it kind of makes sense. It's almost the, the other angle of a, of a client or a patient saying, "Ooh, I don't know. I don't trust myself in order to do that." It's almost the opposite of that. Um, and it sounds like what he's doing is, or what this professional is focusing on is, you know, biological drivers, which if you've ever heard of diets like, what was my, my dad was recently telling me about some crazy diet he heard, the lion diet, you know, the carnivore type diet, he's all, yeah. the lion diet, like all of those crazy things that are out there they're all based on, okay, when we were cavemen, these are our biological factors, mm-hmm. but we're so far removed. We can't just isolate and say, okay, if we were in caveman days, this is what would be. I, you know, yes, I think that we are driven to eat higher calorie, higher sugar items, but that's where, for me, my my kind of, not argument back, but I would say really focusing on that honoring your hunger, that's another principle of intuitive, intuitive eating, because where that comes in is you're all, intuitive eating also includes not eating until you're overly stuffed and full. So in the same way as allowing yourself to have free reign of, hey, I have all of these choices, you also are responsible, I guess, for, you know, it, part of intuitive eating is also having the power and and awareness to say, hey, I'm actually getting full. I'm going to close it up now. I'm going to stop eating. 
So kind of he's isolating. <laughs> to me, it sounds like he's taking a couple of principles and saying this is doomed, which, yeah, on their face, those might be if we just told people to eat all they wanted all the time. But really, and that's what intuitive eating gets a bad rap for is it's just a diet that tells people to eat whatever the heck they want. But it's not. It's not a diet. It's a framework of how you should behave with within your eating practices. So, um, yeah, no, I haven't heard that. It's an interesting look at it, though, and I'd love to see that article. I, I will, if I can find it and figure out where the heck I found it. Um, I will share it with you. But I agree. It, it seems to me that it uh, almost bakes into the argument, uh, like such a lack of trust in our own wisdom and an inability to hear our own body cues that it's almost, mm-hmm. I mean, I dare say it's almost insulting to me in the sense that um, I actually am capable of hearing my body and I am capable of knowing when I'm full and I am capable right. of thinking like, yeah, the cookie would be delicious, but it's not what's going to make me feel good. And it's not really what I want. If right. I pause and listen. Exactly. If you, that's the thing. It's like, if I pause and listen, if we were all just operating on, you know, Hey, my brain told me I want this thing. I'm going to go do it. You know, we'd be living in a very, I haven't known what we would do. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing, I just thought of this while, while we, we were kind of talking, but it's interesting because, you know, if we're focusing on biological factors alone, I would argue, if you look back to caveman era, they weren't gorging themselves, you know, I don't know what, <laughs> there's no definition of gorging, but it's not like they were sitting on the couch watching TV 24-7, not, they obviously had a healthy lifestyle and were consuming an adequate amount of calories for their needs. And really that's where it should all shake out is that if we listen to our body, put in the time, the energy, and really nurture that mental relationship with nutrition and food, our bodies are going to know what to do. That's the thing for me that that falls into place. The human body is amazing. It's the mental, the, the psychological element that we as humans in the modern day need to really work work ourselves through but our body will do the right thing and one of the things that just fascinates me and heartens me frankly is you work for nutrisystem (laughs) (laughs) yeah i do um right and this whole i i mean i have so much uh i don't know hope when companies, I mean, for-profit companies like Nutrisystem are actually out there saying, we all need to start listening to our body better, right? Because, you know, back in the day, there were so many companies, so many books, so many organizations that were, you know, sort of peddling the quick fix. And it heartens me to know that there are companies uh, like yours that are really thinking this through in a much more healthy and holistic kind of way? Like, have you seen a big shift in the industry? And obviously not everywhere because there are still people peddling snake oil for sure, but. Right, <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, you know what? I have. It, it feels that there is a transition to more people are accepting that it's not just about weight loss number. It's not just about, hey, how much weight can I lose this quickly? It's about it's not just that. And I feel that that may even have been what consumers were looking for before is, hey, how can I lose this weight quickly? But 
as we learn more about nutrition and as we're learning more, you know, as a as a society every year, it feels like about nutrition and health that we're realizing that's just one piece of it. And so that's what's cool is, I, you know, dietitians are really starting to latch on to intuitive eating and holistic approaches and trying to weave that into the actual program framework, the, the menus, the plans that are being presented to you in TV commercials and, and flyers and, and things like that. So, yeah, I definitely have seen a big shift just away from, I will say, crash dieting to more of a, hey, this is how we're going to teach you the tool. We're going to give you the tools to make these changes. Some of that in our case is food, but we're going to teach you how to do this even once you're not on the program. It's more of that long-term solution versus, hey, let's have you lose 20 pounds in a month and then regain it um, because that's not helping anyone. And there are many, many people uh, who would benefit from kind of relearning how to eat. You know, there was a period of time where I thought ice cream was a perfectly appropriate breakfast. You know, <laughs> milk, the right number of calories, you know, and it didn't sort of, didn't seem to matter to me too much. Of course, I was 20, but <laughs> um, before I let you go, any last thoughts about heading into 2024 and what I lothingly call the new year, new you uh, kind oh of season? Goodness. Joyce, it makes my skin crawl. And I wanted to mention this at some point. I used to run monthly support groups. At, my, at the old bariatric clinic that I worked at. And I will tell you, when this time of year rolled around, I would get so anxious because all of my patients seemed to get so anxious as well about just the lead up to the holidays of, oh my gosh, how am I going to lose this weight? How am I going to keep it off? Keep, I, I would encourage people, keep your expectations realistic around this time of the year. And it's not to say don't make any efforts to go be active or to make healthy choices. Just set realistic expectations for this time of year, knowing that maybe you're a lot busier than usual. Most people are. Um, and as you head into 2024, don't feel pressure to make New Year's resolutions. Because if you're that person who loves New Year's resolutions, try to make some behavior-focused changes like or some goals, like to implement intuitive eating or honor your hunger, some, something beyond I want to lose weight if that is your goal. Um, and if you're someone who just is like, oh, it's that time of year to make New Year's resolutions and you just don't feel passionate about it, just don't do them, you know, because really what it's about is having healthy habits year round. There's nothing magical about the new year. People just like that clean slate mentality. So if it works for you, lean into it. But if you're kind of one of those people that's like, oh, it makes me nervous. I know I'm not going to meet these expectations anyway. Don't even stress yourself out with it um, and really try to focus on what's important around the holidays, which is family, just being grateful and having gratitude for what you have and trying to enjoy food. <laughs> That's my challenge for everyone. Go try to enjoy <laughs> your holiday meals um, and not feel so stressed about your choices. It's just one day, just one meal. It'll be okay. Sounds simultaneously like 
fabulous advice and terrifying advice. Tori, if people <laughs> want to um, find more of your wisdom or want to explore a little bit of what Nutrisystem has uh, in store for right now and coming into the new year, where are the best places to learn more? Sure. So uh, you guys, if anyone is interested in connecting with me, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, that's just my name, Tori Natalie Brown. And I would direct folks to our blog, which is leaf.nutrisystem.com. We have fabulous seasonal recipes. So after this conversation, if you're like, I want to be excited about food, but I just don't know what to make, go there because we have wonderful content around seasonal recipes, articles, tips. There's even a section uh, on there for, it's called Experts Corner, and that is where uh, myself and our other dietitians write content and, and post it there. So those are all great resources. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much for being with us again. And I look forward to connecting in the new year. Have a wonderful holiday season. Thank you. You too. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for today's Walk and Talk. Catch new episodes featuring inspiring guests every week and all the places podcasts live. Until then, I wish you happy trails.